Well, happy Easter, Hope. So glad that you are worshiping with us here at West Des Moines or whether you're worshiping with us online. We're glad you're here. And we're here today to celebrate a victory, a victory that has called people to a transformed life for, for centuries, for, for generations. It's a victory that has incited this call and response that people have been doing all over the world from the time of Jesus' resurrection through today where people would encounter one another in this call of victory was to cry out, he is risen. And the people who would hear that, they would acknowledge this victory that happened. They would respond with, he is risen indeed. So, he is risen! risen Now act like you're getting into it and it's not Sunday evening and you're not thinking about, oh my goodness, I have to go to work in the morning. He is risen! risen It's the greatest victory you'll ever know. It's the greatest victory in the history of humankind. This is the greatest victory that we can experience, we can encounter, and it's not just something that, that we mark, it's not just something that we say, well, that, that happened once upon a time, and so at one point in time that we experience this victory, and we point back to it because we celebrate that, that at one point that maybe God had gotten a victory. No, this victory is for you and it's for me. It's this victory that a guy by the name of Paul writes about in a letter to a church in a place called Corinth. He says, thank God. Thank God for what he's done in Jesus Christ. Thank God for he gives us, he gives us what? He gives us victory. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew what this victory meant. Paul knew what this transformational moment meant in his own life. At one point in in Paul's journey, Paul's life was was heading in the exact opposite direction. Paul had heard about the person by the name of Jesus, and he'd heard about what he claimed and what people had said had happened to him. But Paul didn't believe it. Paul didn't believe that it was possible, and Paul didn't believe that That Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the person who had been sent by God. But at one point in his life, Paul's on a way to a place called Damascus. And he has an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. It transforms him. It changes him. From, From that point, from that very point on, Paul's life, It'll never be the same. A world that at one point he thought was upside, right, was now upside down and he was living for the things that were right. That's why we make such a big deal about the celebration of of Easter. It's why we pull out all the stops here at Hope. We don't pull out all the stops. We don't pull out everything that we can pull out. We don't do that to try to put on a performance. It's not about that at all. Because we believe that there's one victory. There's one victory in in all of creation that deserves our, our best praise. That deserves everything that we have. That this victory, this celebration, what we're doing here with one another right now, it doesn't acknowledge anything that's happening except for what God has given us and made available to us. We celebrate victories a lot in our lives. 
Victories are, are wonderful things. They're those, we could say those moments that are, are set apart in our lives. Those, we could call them holy moments. Those victories, when something happens, you know that your life is never going to be the same, that you experience joy and exhilaration, you experience new life, so to speak, where something happens and something takes place and you just can't believe it. And when you experience that, the first thing you want to do is tell everybody you know about what has just happened. I remember when I asked my wife to marry me. I got down on my knee. I did the whole thing. I tried to get it to look as good as I could because I knew that was the only chance I had is if I tricked her. And so I got down on my knee and I said, you know, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And I said, really? She said, yes. So I started calling all my friends. I said, she said yes. And I was really disappointed because all my friends said the same response. Really? She said yes. And I said, why are you so surprised? And they said, because we know you, and we know her, and you're way out of your coverage right now. Same thing when we had our kids. It's holy. It's incredible. It's life-changing. It's those moments in life that bring us such joy. But the unfortunate thing about a lot of the Experiences we have, no matter how great they are, and they are great, but they only last so long, don't they? I'm reminded of this as a sports fan. It was 1987. It was 30 years ago now. The Twins, it's obvious that it's been 30 years since they've been good at all. The Twins are, are my sports team. My family was given four tickets to Game 7 of the 1987 World Series. My family was able to go. We were there when the ground ball went to Gaetti, who was playing third base. He threw it to Kent Herbeck, who was playing first base. And for the first time ever, the Minnesota Twins were world champions. And they won four years later. And ever since then, it's been crickets. And every year I think that maybe it will be different, but every year I'm just disappointed. And I have to work with a whole bunch of people who are Cubs fans. I'm reminded that the victory that they experienced, it only lasted but a little bit of time. It's also the victory that we have as, as parents. It's like every night when we get our kids ready to go to bed and we get them into bed and they stay in their bed. My, my wife and I, we get downstairs and it's like we high five each other because we're like, victory! But we know that they're going to wake up the next morning and we're going to have to do the whole, whole thing again. And I lament that fact to my parents and my parents say, how do you think that you were any different? I see that in my kid's life. Before they could even express themselves with words, I'd pick them up and I'd throw them in the air. And my wife would always say, what happens if you don't catch them? I'd say, are you doubting my abilities? <laughs> of course I'll catch them. I'd throw them up. I'd catch them. They'd scream with delight again, 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 because they knew that it didn't last. I'd have to throw them and throw them and throw them until I couldn't do it anymore. 
See, this victory that we experience is different than that. It's different than the moments that we have in life where we experience things that are so good, but we have to deal with the reality that the sun may go down on that victory. God promises us is a victory over the things in life that on our own, through our own best efforts, we can't overcome because we all have limits. In life, every single one of us, as human beings, we all have limits. We all face limits in our own life. You don't need me to remind you of that. It's the reality of the humanity that has a hold of us. And there are times in life where sometimes in, in funny ways, but sometimes in, in horrifying ways, we face the reality of our limits. When I was a junior in high school, there was seven of us who had grown up together. We all went to the same grade school. We all grew up within about two or three blocks of one another. We spent every waking moment with one another. We enjoyed the same sports. By the time we got to high school, all of us played basketball together. And out of the seven of us, five could dunk a basketball. And if you're wondering, I wasn't one of the five that could dunk. But when I was a junior in high school, that summer I convinced myself that if I worked hard enough and I put enough uh, time in, that I would be able to, by the end of the summer, I'd finally be able to dunk it. And this was going to be my grand moment of victory in my own life. So every morning I would go to the weight room and they had this uh, machine. It was more like a torture device and it was called the Super Cat. And the Super Cat was this platform and it had kind of like a 45 degree angle on it. And it had these bars that would go over your shoulders with pads on them and you'd stack up all these weights and you'd do different kind of squats and you'd do quick jumps and, and vertical jumps and angle jumps. And this was proven to increase your vertical jump, the higher you could jump. So every day I'd work out, the next morning I would get to the gym and I'd go out there and I could touch the rim every so often, even got to the point where I could dunk a tennis ball. I know you're impressed right now. And after all this work, one day my coach, his name was Ross Irie, Mr. Irie, Coach Irie, we loved him. He woke up every morning to open up the weight room for us. And one day as I was going up and I was trying to throw the ball off the backboard to see, you know, I, at least I couldn't palm the ball, but maybe I could tip it in and claim that that would be my dunk. He, he put his arm around me. He said, Johns, he called me, Johns, you got to realize that there are certain dreams we have in life that will never be realized. And it's time for you to drop it. Because that was my limit. I was a 5'10 kid with who has built the block not to jump. But it's not just those limits. It's the limits that remind us of maybe some of the things in life that we'd rather not talk about. There are realities in life that sometimes can almost convince us maybe the world isn't the way 
that we thought it would be. Maybe that there's just something wrong that's beyond our control. This is why Easter is such a big deal. I don't want to paint a picture that's all doom and gloom, but I, but I also want to be able to tell the truth because we know that the truth will set us free. There's a force of evil in this world. Paul talks about it. It's not like this is something new. This is a reality that happened from the time in which Adam and Eve were in the garden and, and God had given them one command. We give them, them one rule. He said, this whole creation, it's been created for you. This is yours. Enjoy it. But just don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat that, your eyes will be opened to reality that you don't want to know. We watch the news in our house every morning when we get up. We have the TV on. We don't have a TV in our kitchen, but we have one in our living room. And so many mornings we'll get up, we'll turn the TV on while we're getting breakfast ready as our kids are getting up. It was just a couple months ago, and I can't even remember what was happening at the time. But my wife and I were in the kitchen. We were talking. Our kids were kind of playing around. They're kind of getting ready in the morning. And my son came up to us. He had this incredibly concerned look on his face. We thought, what's going on? So mom and dad, would you guys quit watching the news in the morning? We thought he just wanted to watch cartoons. He said, no, buddy, you can't watch cartoons before you go to school in the morning. He said, no, I just don't want you guys to watch the news because it's too scary. Because it is. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 6. That the struggles that we face in, in our lives isn't just against flesh and blood. That there is a power, there is a force, there is a reality of evil in this world. That on our own, no matter how good we try to be, no matter how many rules we try to put in place, there is a darkness that tends to creep in. That really, we don't have a weapon against it. And we can start to ask ourselves if there's any hope. If it's ever going to get any better. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Where's the hope? How's it going to get better? Is it going to continue to get worse? Maybe it's not just the evil. Maybe it's the reality of our brokenness. You see, there's this false notion in the world that, that, that the goal in life, you ask a lot of people, what, what, what's the ultimate goal that you have in life? What, what should we shoot for? What's the target that we put on the wall? What are we aiming towards? And a lot of us will say that the goal in life is just to be a little bit better than bad. That really it's up to me to do, do the best I can to make the best decisions. I just need to do good. then what happens when we don't? There's a guy by the name of Paul who wrote that passage in 1 Corinthians 15. 
Paul, that same person who had had the encounter with the risen Jesus on the way to Damascus, that same Paul who had had his life transformed, he talked about the reality that exists in his life. He says, I find this simple principle at work in my life, that when I want to do what is right, I do what is wrong. And that which I don't want to do, I can't help but find myself doing it. Paul says, who's going to save me from this body that's consumed with sin? Paul writes about it early in his letter to the Romans. He says, for for all have sinned. For all have sinned. It's the reality that we face in life. We all have sinned. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, the cost of that sin is death. Physical, emotional, spiritual. We find ourselves not wanting to do certain things and we end up doing them. We, don't, we want to do other things and we can't do them. My wife and I have lived here for almost eight years now. It's hard to imagine we've lived here that long. We're native Iowans now, it feels like. We've almost lost our Minnesotan accents, which is a really good thing, if I'm going to be honest. Because I think the northern Minnesota accent kind of makes a person sound a little slow. So now we're sounding real educated because we talk like Iowans. But we've been here for eight years, and, and one of the first people that we met while we lived here first was an acquaintance was a guy by the name of Lyle Jessen. He's around here all of the time. Every place we'd go at Hope, we'd see Lyle's face. First it was just an acquaintance, a face in the crowd, but pretty soon uh, it became more than that. He became a friend. And over the course of the years, Lyle and I would, would get to know each other just a little bit better. And continually, Lyle would always say, you know, sometime... When you have a moment, when you have some free time, I'd love to sit down with you and I'd love to tell you my story. Lyle's story is very similar to all of ours. Lyle talked about how he grew up in a family and even though his family didn't have much, they had a lot. You know how that goes. Financially, maybe they didn't have everything, but from the standpoint of love, they had everything. He finished school, he got his degree, he had a great job, fell in love, got married, they had three beautiful children. I mean, from the world's perspective, Lyle had everything that he could want or ask for. But there was this sin in his life. It was alcohol. It was addiction. Maybe it's not alcohol for you. Maybe it is. And if it is, if it's any type of addiction, don't try to go through it alone. Reach out. Get help. The prison of addiction is something that's real, holds you captive, did for Lyle. 
the more and more he fell into that, that pattern, the more it cost him. For the wages of sin is death. It cost him his job. It cost him his marriage. It cost him the relationship with his kids. And it cost him his freedom. Because he found himself in prison. And as Lyle, in his own words, was in prison, he started to wonder if life was even worth living anymore. Because where's the hope? I mean, when the patterns of your life have slammed the door to it, it's the question we ask, right? Where's the hope? Lyle actually thought because of the way that things had spun out of control that maybe he'd be worth more dead than he was alive. Sin is a powerful thing. I'd be horrified if anybody would leave here today and, and somehow hear the message that first and foremost that you're a sinner and that you have no hope. If you hear that and that's the only thing you hear, back it up with this, you're a child with God. You're a child of God's. But we're captive to sin. And on our own, we cannot free ourselves. We try to, don't we? Tomorrow it's going to get better. Tomorrow I'm not going to fall into that anymore. I'm just going to pick myself up by the bootstraps and I'm going to make better decisions. I'm going to change my decisions. How's that go? Where's the hope in that? When it all depends on you, it can seem to smother you, can it? Maybe it's not just evil. Maybe it's not just sin. Most certainly it's death. You and I, we both have an end point in life. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 39 that the days that we have are numbered, that life in and of itself is fleeting. It's not going to go on forever. We all physically enter this world at a certain point and we all physically will exit this world at a certain point. And only God knows how many days that we have. And sometimes we can look at that and we can ask ourselves, where's the hope in that? Where's the life in that? If I know that the end of my life ends in death, then, then what's the purpose of my life? Is this all that we have? Is there any more than this? Especially when the life of the ones that we love is lost tragically. January 6th, just this past year, my wife Bridget, she and her cousins, one of her cousins' name is Jody, other cousin's name is Shar, and they're not as much cousins as they are sisters. Shar and her husband Steve, they're incredible people. Bridget had lived with them for some months while she was student teaching, while she was in college. Shar called on January 6th, and she called with horrible news. Their son Hunter, who was 18 at the time, 
He was a snowmobile racer, and snowmobiling in their family is an, it's, it's a huge thing. It's a big deal. And as an up-and-comer, Hunter was about as good as good could be. He was like a fish to water on a snowmobile. In the racing circuit, the races would be on Saturday, but on Friday, all the racers would get there. The trailer would come. They'd unload their snowmobiles. They'd go out, and they'd give them a test run. They'd see if anything needed to be tweaked or worked on or changed. Well, that Friday morning, Hunter went out, and he went to go uh, test his sled, see how it was running, and, and some of his teammates noticed that he hadn't come back. I mean, usually the test runs are, are pretty quick. They go out, they turn around, they come back, they, they see how it's turning, how their blades are catching on the snow or the ice. But Hunter hadn't returned. Some of his teammates went out to go see if they could, you know, did his sled break down or what happened, and well, they came upon a horrible accident. A tragic accident. 18 years old. Freshman in college, incredible family, <laughs> the world was just in front of him. His life is lost. We need hope, don't we? I mean, a world that can be surrounded by the, the, the reality of evil and the, the, the power of our sin and the unescapable reality of the death that we will face, where do we find the hope? Is there any hope? I, I think about those, the Bible reading that we heard just a short time ago when, when those women went to go put their hope to bed. I mean, they placed all of their hope in this person by the name of Jesus. He had promised them so much. He, he had told them that he was bringing about a kingdom and that this kingdom was going was to be anything like anything that they had ever experienced. And now he was dead. It was gone. I mean, all of the things that they had seen and all the things that they had experienced and all of the promises that he had made them, they had to have been thinking, did we put our hope in something that could not hold it? Which I think some of us, if we're going to be honest, and we think about faith and we think about God and we think about Jesus and we think about Easter, some of us are here tonight and we ask ourselves, is this something that I can put my hope in? Because if I'm going to be truthful about where I find myself today, things aren't going the way that I had envisioned them. Things aren't the way that I thought that they were going to play out. So where's my hope? If God loves me, if God is who God says that God is, then where's God? Where is he? If we live in a world where evil is present, where sin is a part of our lives, where death can steal people far too early, then where do we find our hope? But it's because of the tomb. It's because of what those women were going to go and encounter that would transform their lives. But it's not just them. Well, we can't miss the rest of the story. 
Because what they experienced and what they encountered changes everything. It's the center of the gospel. John 3.16. So many of you know this verse. For God so loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That no matter what we experience in this world, the evil, the sin, and the death, we have a God who has come to break the chains. To swing the prison door wide open to set us free. We have a God who is a chain breaker. Think about this. The God who's come to set you free. To break your chains. To give you a new and an everlasting life. We can hear it. We can see it. You might want to listen to this one. You've been walking the same old road for miles and miles. You've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lie. You're trying to fill the same old holes inside. There's a better life, a better life. You got pain, he's a pain taker.
Praise God for people like Mike Butterworth and Matt Baird, people who are full-time musicians who come and share their gifts with us here at Hope. Praise God for people like that. Did you hear it? If you believe it, then receive it. If you believe it, if you believe it, then receive it. It's the only thing you have to do. Those women, they came to the tomb and they saw that he wasn't there. He, he was gone. They didn't no idea what this could mean. And, and somebody asked them the question. It comes from Luke's gospel. They said, why are you looking for the one who is living among the dead? He isn't here. He's risen in that reality. And the empty tomb changed everything. And they tore away so they could tell everybody. The reality of what it meant that there is a God who came who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son who came to overcome sin, death, and the power of evil. If you believe it, then receive it. Open your heart. Open your heart just a little bit. Let God's truth, if you have questions, come back. Take our Alpha course. Put your questions to the test. Open your heart to this God who loves you so much, he won't leave you where you are. He doesn't leave you without hope. He sends his son. If you believe it, then receive it. He isn't here. He is risen. And this God who goes to death takes your sin, the power of evil, and your death, and he puts death to death. And the scriptures promises just as he is raised from the dead, so are everyone who has received him who believe in him, are joined with him in an everlasting life. Well, there's hope. Paul says that this transformation, it happens in an instant. We hear it, we receive it, and it changes everything. It doesn't mean that our life is going to be infinitely easier. It means that our life is going to be infinitely more hope-filled. There is a God who... It's come for you. Things couldn't have been worse for Lyle. He was actually set free from prison. He was out on parole and still without hope, he had no life. In his freedom, Lyle had made the decision that he wanted to go back. Can you imagine? Maybe you can that the junk that's going on in your life is so bad that you would rather live in prison than live in freedom. Kind of sounds like our lives, doesn't it? Lyle decided that he was going to go to one last AA meeting before he was going to go and violate his probation, go back to prison. There's 85 AA meetings that were available to him that Sunday. One of them happened to be on the corner of uh, a road called Ashworth Road and 74th. He walked into this 
building that looked like a church, but it was far too big to be a church. He was looking for the AA meeting, and he couldn't find the AA meeting. But he found a worship service. He missed the AA meeting, but he found Jesus Christ. And in that instant, in that moment, his life was transformed. Paul says, let me tell you this wonderful mystery. Let me tell you the secret to your life. If you want to know where to find meaning, if you want to know where to find value, and you want to know where to find the place where your broken heart can be mended back together, if you want to know where to find the place where you can find the forgiveness of your sins, where you can find freedom for the sins that have been done to you, Paul says, let me give you that mystery, that secret. It's the victory that Christ gave us through his resurrection. Transforms us. Gives us victory. That's what it's all about. That's the victory that can give all our own personal victories the only type of life that can... Bring meaning to him. Cause us to run out and share the message with everybody that we could ever come across. Because if that can transform me, what could it do for the rest of the world? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. There is a God who loves me. That there is a God in whom the world can start to make sense again. Oh, there's no greater truth that you could ever come across in your life. There's no greater message to shout than than the reality that he is risen. He is risen. risen It's true. It's the miracle of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of a God who loves you so much. He came to rescue you, to set you free from evil, from sin, from death gives you an eternal life. Death doesn't get the final word. Someday, all of us will be together again for eternity. So go run and tell the story. Let's stand, let's sing, let's celebrate this gospel. You're not going to want to leave until after this song. He is risen!